Hey, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to send us your story by visiting our new website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. There's a long list of people who have lost everything in their lives and have made a comeback. And they're a great comeback story, and I want to share a few of those with you here this morning. The first one being Steve Jobs, founded Apple at the age of 21. He's a young 20-year-old, zealous, became a man worth millions and millions of dollars by the age of 23. He recruited an experienced Fortune 500 CEO by the name of John Scully, and three years later, John Scully fired him. He wrote later in 2005, I didn't see it then, but I, it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. He started a second company called Next. That company was bought out by Apple, and then he later became CEO, again, a part of the company. And the rest is pretty much history. Have you ever heard of iPhone? <laughs> have you ever heard of MacBooks? That is the history and the legacy that he leaves behind. Ulysses S. Grant. Grant was the 18th president of the United States. He saved the Union during the Civil War. He led a life full of highs and lows. He's a West Point graduate. He had left the Army after being accused of drinking on duty, and he struggled for seven years, barely able to support his family. When war broke out, Grant went back into the Army, first as a volunteer, then as a colonel, eventually U.S. general, and Grant later, obviously, was elected president. Late in life, he wrote his memoirs in his deathbed. The publisher? Well, a man by the name of Mark Twain. Well, Mark Twain, speaking of whom now uh, is referred to as one of the greatest American writers of all time, Twain made some bad business decisions, had come upon some unlucky times in his life, and had uh, lost many investments. In fact, he was broken bankrupt 20 years after he became super famous and the author of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. He moved his family to Europe, went on a grueling speaking tour, wrote prolifically, and ultimately he made enough money to restore his fortune, which was interesting he repaid all his creditors even though he was clear from bankruptcy. He went back and still paid his debtors. Interesting. You have story after story, people after person, person after person that had come upon situations that they could have just bailed, but they didn't. Listen, I'm here to tell you here this morning. I want to bring a message entitled, Bigger Than Your Past. Bigger Than Your Past. You see, you are bigger than your past, and your past failure can quickly become your greatest ally. But we don't always see it that way, do we? We think it's always us against the world, the world against us. Well, oftentimes it's us against us. It's us against us. We are our worst enemy, as I refer to the enemy within a me. The enemy in a me. Right? 
Oftentimes, the biggest struggle we have is not an opposing person or opposing situation. It's an opposing thought that you will never, ever amount to anything, that you will never, ever become what God had intended, that God made a mistake when he made you, that somehow you are not in the equation. God didn't do the math right. Can I tell you something? God always does the math right. God always does the math right. I'm looking at our men. I'm looking at our women. I'm looking at our children here at Freedom. And we have an amazing task ahead of us. And that's to bring the light of the gospel to this community. And there's so many things that we have cooking in the background right now. Believing God to minister to people. But many of us will never get past our past if we don't believe that God is bigger than our past. God is bigger than your past. See, we can read throughout scriptures and we can find that there are people that made serious errors. How many ever read something in scripture and said, well, that was dumb? That was a bad move. Anybody ever read something and said, that was a bad move? That just didn't work out like you intended, did it? Well, sometimes the Bible is more often than not, it's a mirror than a book. Because I can see myself in too many stories that I care to share about this morning. I look in it and I oftentimes page seven, page eight, page nine, page mine. That's me right there. Times where I doubted, times where I feared, times where I looked at myself and said, wow, my past is so much bigger than me. Well, maybe, but your God is bigger than your past. Because God is bigger than your past. So how do you make your past your ally? Well, you, you depend on God. Is that right? We say, well, Pastor Tony, that's a given. You depend on God. Well, that's a given. Well, guess what? Not everybody that believes that that's a given actually does it. Open your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua chapter 8. Because I'm going to read a healthy chunk of scripture this morning. We believe the word of God here at Freedom. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad you're here. We believe the Bible here. We believe the word of God here in Joshua chapter 8 is a great place to start. And let's jump in there for a moment because there's a story here in chapter 8 that starts in chapter 7. How many know whatever happened in chapter 8 probably happened, you know, was about to be set up in chapter 7, right? And in chapter 7, something happened that affected chapter 8. Guess what? There's a chapter 7 in your life that will affect the chapter 8 in your life. So here's what happens in chapter 7. For some of you that may or may not know, there was a man by the name of Achan. God had told the people of God, go and destroy everything and take everything and destroy it by fire. Don't save, don't, no spoils for you, no spoils. This right here has to go down. Everything has to go away, right? The Greek word for everything is Everything. Write it down. The Greek word for everything is everything. When he said burn everything, he meant everything. He said everything that you can find, burn it to the ground. That's what must happen. And guess what? Achan said, but wait, some of these things look nice. Like this robe. Ooh, that's a pretty robe. Oh, look, there's some gold and some silver. Let's save these things. And you know what he did? He didn't just give it to someone. He didn't put it in the bank. He hid it underneath his tent. Chapter 7. Hid it underneath his tent 
Some of you know the story. Some of you may now know the story. And what later happened was they called him up and they said, what did you do? The Lord spoke and said, there's sin in the camp. Someone did something they weren't supposed to do. Long story short, they called Achan forward. Achan confessed. They sent the guy back, said, go get the stuff he's talking about. They got the silver. They got the robe. They got all the things that he held. They brought it back. They burnt everything and Achan, and all of that was burnt, and judgment came to the house of God. How many are glad that we don't burn people after they make mistakes here at Freedom? (laughs) Amen? We don't burn people here. So here's what happened. That took place. It freed the people of God. They moved on. And then chapter 8 happened. So watch this. Understanding the preface in chapter 7 of Achan, I gave you the revised version. That was the shortened version of the big story. But here chapter 8, then the Lord said to Joshua, because God speaks again. Right? How many know that his voice isn't muted? God still speaks. And God said to Joshua, to Joshua. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. This is what we're going to read together. A lot of scripture. Here we go. And go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did for Jericho and its king, except you may carry off the plunder. Now he's given them access. Access to the plunder. And livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. Now, AI, what is that place? What is that place? Well, that is the place where he failed, excuse me, where they failed the first time. God is sending them back again. So watch this. He's sending them back again and he says, go. Set an ambush behind the city. Verse 3. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack AI. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Go very far. uh, Don't go very far from it. And all of you be on alert. I and all of those with me will advance to the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they're running away from us as they did before. So we will flee. So when they flee from them, you will rise up from the ambush and take the city. You see what's happening here? And we're going to lure them out. A part of our people are going to lure them out and we're going to run. And that's going to draw them out. And then all the city will be bare and ready. So watch this. We will rise and take the city. Verse 7. The Lord your God will give it into your land when you have taken the city. Set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off. And he went to the place of ambush and laid in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived far from it. They set up, uh, I'm sorry, they arrived in front of it. They came and they set up north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua taking about 5,000 men, set them in an ambush between Beth and Ai, west of the city. I know it's long, follow with me. So the soldiers took up their positions with the men in the camp north of the city and ambushed the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. 
When the king of Ai saw this, and all his men in the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arab, uh, Arabah, but he did not know that the ambush had been set against them in the city. Joshua and all his Israel let themselves be driven back, and they fled toward the wilderness. All the men of Ai, they bit. Everybody say they bit. They bit, right? So here's what happened. They were, they were, um, they were lured from the city. They pursued them, and Joshua... Um, not a man remained in Ai or Bethel, verse 17, who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went to pursue Israel. Then we go on to read more and more that basically they all ran out. Israel went in and they attacked, verse 22. Those in the ambush came out of the city against them and were caught in the middle. Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them no survivors or refugees. But they took the king Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men, long story short, Joshua did draw back his hand and out and destroyed all of those who lived in Ai. And here's the last verse, verse 27. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. That's a lot of text, right? But you have to understand something. The Hebrews were discouraged. They had just lost a bunch of people. They had just lost all this, uh, this had battle, this battle that they thought they were going to win, right? And then God said, listen, I've taken out the sin from the camp. Now follow me and follow my directions. They waited and they waited. And then God said, now's your chance to go. And here's the plan. God gave the plan. How many know when God gives a plan, it's fail proof? Right? And that's exactly, exactly how he laid it out is exactly what happened. Listen, when you get discouraged, God is working out a plan to bring you back. And some of you don't like this part, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He will bring you back to the place where you failed so you can succeed again. God can and will bring you back to the place where you failed so you can succeed. And he can show you that my plan in the beginning was a good plan. You had always were meant to live. You were always meant to thrive. You were always meant to do great things. But oftentimes, we can pull away and say, no, I failed there. I don't want to do it again. We failed there. That can't be God. God, God, you know what happened last time you trusted me. God, you know what happened last time when you told me to take out all, these, uh, all the enemy here. I can't see how we're going to defeat the enemy here. God says, when you do it with my plan, with my strategy, it works. Are you with me? So here's what I learned about this text. These are three simple thoughts. These are not the points, but here are three thoughts that I believe God encourages us today. If you find yourself in a place where you had failed in times past, God is not just the God of second chances. He's often the God of seventh chances. Come on, somebody. All right? Why? Because he is bigger than your past. So watch this. Number one, God gave encouragement to the people, right? He gave encouragement. What did he say to them? The Lord said to Joshua, what? The first words he said is, do not be afraid. God encouraged them, right? God wants to encourage you today. And I believe that when you fail, the first person that's on your side believing in you and saying this is not the end, this is not the end, it's God. The second thing, because we, God, many people see God as just in the correction business. God is not in the correction business. He's in the restoring business. That might be worth writing right now. God is not 
in the correction business, he would never cease to do work if that was the case. He is in the restorative business. He's not trying to bring you down. He's trying to pick you up because you are his creation and you are meant for something more. You are meant for something greater. So while we often look at God as the corrector God, he looks at himself as the restorer God. The restorer God. Second thought is this. Not only that, he gave a word of direction. He didn't just tell them, listen, get up and do something. He said, get up. I got a plan for you. He gave them direction. That's the kind of God we serve. He doesn't just tell us, you've done wrong now. Go to your room and think about what you did. In this case, go back to your tent and think about what you did. No, he offered them direction. You know, we often think about passing inspection. You ever, talk, you ever brought your car in to get inspected and you have both fingers and you're praying to Jesus and you're doing all that, you're fasting, you're like, please don't let them find anything wrong with this car. Some of y'all develop a prayer life while this is waiting for inspection. You know what I'm talking about? You ever brought your car in like, dear Jesus, if you could create one miracle right now. Y'all like, Pastor Tony, he's just kidding. Oh, that happened to me last week. <laughs> Dear God, if you could create a miracle, resurrect this car. Resurrect it. Chevy, come forth. Where was I in my notes? Let me go back to them. Discouragement. God does not want to discourage you. He wants to pick you up. Direction. And the third, the God gives a word of assurance. Listen, you will take AI. You will. You will. Because I am with you. God assures you. It's golden. His promise is enduring forever. Amen. For even if you find yourself in wreckage, God desires for you to just trust him. That God does good with garbage. All the garbage that we created, all the stuff, God makes something out of nothing. Oftentimes we forget how we get to get something out of nothing. It's that quiet intimacy with the Lord. Don't think that somehow it comes because you deserve it. We don't. None of us deserve it. It's the grace of God that gives us the opportunity to do the things that we do. We look at, God responds with encouragement, direction, and assurance. And we're looking at ourselves like, well, you know, I deserve it. Kind of, I worked hard. I've been praying all week. Really? That's how you deserve it? The only way we deserve it is because of the goodness of God and the graciousness of God. He gives encouragement. He gives direction. He gives assurance. So let me tell you this. When you begin to walk in the intensity of following this Christian faith because, see, a lot of people want to say, hey, come to church with me, and that's great. I, I hope that you involve, invest, and invite the way we're challenging you these next 90 days all in. Are you ready? What well, We hope that you buy into this idea that somehow God is not just in the business of helping you, but he's in the business of involving you into his will. So it's not about just getting you busy. He's trying to get you productive. And he told them, he told Israel, here's what he said by sending them back. I'm going to send you back because there, right there where you failed, I'm going to show you that when I'm in it, there is no failure. It's all process. 
And we know one thing as, as Christians is we have to trust the process. Is that right? Trust the process of Christianity because Christianity is not easy. So how do we do that? How do we decide to stay close to the Savior? How do we decide that encouragement, direction, and assurance that God had given us means and adds up to something? What do we do with that? Well, let me share with this thought with you. And it's, again, three simple thoughts. Number one, staying close to the Lord brings clarity of mission. Staying close to the Lord brings clarity to the mission. They had gone their own way. You realize if you read chapter 6 and 7, you see that Israel was headed in the wrong direction. Even though they were saying they were listening to God, they were starting to, t- to tee off in certain parts where they were, uh, there was areas in their life that they were slipping and they didn't pay attention to the areas that were slipping, which would later bring them to a place of this uh, discouragement and disobedience. But in verse 1, the Lord instructed Joshua to take the people and return to Ai, the place of defeat. Go back. Somebody say, go back. Notice that God gives very clear instructions about the battle plan. He didn't didn't just tell them, hey, go and fight these guys. He said, listen, here's how you're going to do it with my plan. See, a lot of people want to walk this Christian faith, but they want to water this down. You can't walk on water. Hello? It is God and his plan that works. And so in the same way, we look at um, this situation and they said, you know, I can imagine. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? We got slaughtered. We got beat so badly. We got sent home with our tail between our legs that we were not who we thought we were. When you are God's people and you get sent packing, it's not God's fault. I promise you. Somewhere there was a lack of communication. Somewhere some communication broke down. And oftentimes it's a lack of clarity of mission. What is our mission? What is our mission? See, Joshua, he was previously lacking this opportunity to have a mission. And God gave him a mission here and he fulfilled it. The difference between the battles of Jericho and the battle of Ai was in Jericho, the Hebrews marched around the city and Ai, there was no marching. In Jericho, the spoil was not to be touched and Ai, it was given to them. In Jericho, there was no fighting. In AI, they had to fight. Guess what? You got to fight sometimes for what you believe in. You got to fight for what's worth fighting for. In Jericho, they marched, they marched in the daylight. In AI, they fought under the cover of darkness. Two very different worlds, but guess what happened? God proved faithful. See, the threat of tomorrow's church is this. Listen, listen closely, guys, because I'm, I'm, I'm putting this in a capsule for you. The threat of tomorrow's church is that we cling to the methods of yesterday, hoping that it'll point to today's mission. Times have changed, yes? Times have changed. And understand that God is doing something special, but he's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. The mission was always the same, bring glory to God, right? How many know that the mission is always bring glory to God, right? Not glory to me, not glory to you, glory to God. That's always the mission. When you stay close to him, Israel allowed sin to get closer than God. Church, look at me. When sin gets closer to you than God does, you will always, always fail. When sin gets closer to you than God does, 
you will always fail. Second thought is this. Staying close to the Lord eliminates repetition. Notice the difference between the Hebrews' first attempt to conquer Ai with 3,000 men. The plan was unveiled in chapter 8. They brought, instead of 3,000, guess what? We're going to bring 30,000. Let's bring it strong. Why? Because they're all in. See what I did there? Now he sent 30,000 men of valor. When they need to regain victory, they need every resource. Friend, look at me. You need every resource, every resource when you're fighting for God. Stop thinking that the, the, the enemy is the one sitting next to you, behind you. I got to compare and compete. You'll live in defeat. The person next to you, the person next to you, we are on the same team. Guess what? The church down the street, same team. The church down that street, same team. The other church down there, same team. They wear things differently. They do things differently. But guess what? We're all on the same team. I got seven amens. I'm working for 14. We are on the same team. But guess what? We often go with what we have. Let's just go with what we have. And they never tap into the resources. Let me tell you something. If there's another church doing something better than us, I'm going to go learn from them. I'm going to go partner with them. I'm going to do something so that we can do something great together because we're on the same team. I don't want to involve repetition in my life, especially when it's failure. There's only one thing that's worse than failing. It's failing twice with the same method. And there's only one thing worse than failing twice. It's failing three times and knowing that you failed because you did the same thing again. Friend, God is not in the business of repeating your failure. I hope this is helping somebody because it's helping me. I'll at least preach to myself. Because when we get out of God's will, we go back oftentimes and make up. So we got to make up, surrender the, the ground that we had surrendered. We, when, we, when we realize who God is, we got to go back and say, listen, this is unfinished business. I need to take care of this right here. That's how come God is in the restoring business. He's always about bringing us back to the place where I know you failed here, but watch me work. Because I'm not just the God of the first chance, but I'm the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth. God doesn't want you to repeat your failure, but he'll bring you there and give you strength to, to succeed. Amen? All right. Number three. Here it is. Not only staying close to God brings clarity to the mission, not only does it eliminate repetition in our lives, but also staying close to the Lord brings provision. Brings provision. Achan's sin was that he took what belonged there. Not even necessarily to God. You could say belong to God. There are people that touch things that belong to God. And there are people that touch things they're not supposed to. Because there are things in this world. Look at me. Christian, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There are things that you can touch. Things that you can involve yourself in. That doesn't mean you should. Everyone was given 24 hours a day. Everyone. Everyone was given the same amount of time. And everyone in this room has the same amount of time. It's what you do with it that matters. And guess what? Aiken's sin was that he decided that he would be his own boss. And bring the stuff that he thought in his own eyes is nice. It's, it's costly. That robe was real nice. 
That's why he hid it. Until the Lord revealed that there's sin, until the Lord's favor was no longer upon the people. And Joshua was like, what's wrong? What's happening? And God responded back, there's sin in the camp. And Joshua was like, let's get to it. Who is it? And you know the story I just told you about. And then all of a sudden, favor was back upon them. Why? Because God's provision wants to be upon what? Obedience. Obedience. If Achan had just honored God and waited, guess what? They would have won, and God would have given them more. They would have had more. But Achan was no more, because Achan walked in his own authority. See, Achan thought he knew more than God, better plan. Nevertheless, sometimes we think that our intentions are good enough. But God, I'm really well-intended. It doesn't matter what you intended to do. It's whether you obeyed or not. Your intentions hold very little weight when you walk in disobedience. Your intentions matter when you give an offering to God, right? I, I, I intend on doing so much more, but this is what I could do right now. This is, this is part of my offering. And so motive is important in the kingdom, but when you intend to do something and you do the opposite and, you, dis, and you, uh, you walk in disobedience, then what do intentions matter? I intended on going to this event. I intended on praying. I intended on giving. I intended on serving. I intended to go to that event. Can I tell you something? We here at Freedom don't do events just to fill a calendar. We do events to change your life. So don't sit back saying there's no, I intended to do something, but I'm not because I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure. But listen, if you're unsure, go to God because I'm sure he has something to bring clarity to you. Know that there's a place for you. The victory and God's judgment was complete. We look at verse 22. They struck them down. And he let none of them escape. Why? Because that was God's plan. And they executed it. And guess what? They got all the plunder. Joshua did not draw back his hand. He stretched out his spear. He did everything God intended. And the blessings that flowed were forever recorded in this passage. Friend, God is bigger than your past. God is bigger than your mistake. And whatever it is that you find yourself in today, know this. The keys for victory is simply this. Look at this for a moment. The keys for victory is number one, God desires for you to be encouraged because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I read that in the book somewhere. Uh, that book is Romans, by the way. Be encouraged that God has already seen your mistake and he says, be encouraged. There's another plan. Secondly, follow the Lord's plan. That's a good word right there. Follow the Lord's plan. Three, use every resource and the best resources. They went with 3,000 before and failed. When they started realizing they needed more, they brought 30,000. God wants to give you 10 times more resources, I believe, than you ever imagined. Trust him. Trust him to fight the battle because the battle that I'm talking about, and some of you may think I'm just talking about resources, so I'm talking about money and resources. I'm talking about more than that. Money will come and go. I'm talking about resources and people. I'm talking about this people God has put in your life to make you richer in belief, richer in your faith, richer 
as a believer because that's what God is trying to grow, not your bank account. He'll bless that too, trust me. You're faithful with, with the little, God will give you charge over much. Granted, given, stamped, sealed, delivered. I'm telling you that it goes further more than that. There's people that God is investing and putting into your life, and you're thinking, I'm good, I got this. And God is like, no, trust the best resources. And the best resource you could ever have in your life is the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit to give you resources beyond anything you ever imagined. Listen, from the youngest to the oldest in this room, hear me and hear me closely. The resources that the Holy Spirit has for you today far exceed anything you ever imagined. Look at me. Anything you ever imagined is then more so found in the power of the Holy Spirit. From the youngest student to the uh, high school student to the young adult in this room to the... uh, to the single married, to the married, to those who are retired. It doesn't matter where you are. The greatest thing that God has ever done was give his only son. And then after he gave his son and sacrificed his son, he didn't leave you alone. After he resurrected him, he gave you the Holy Spirit. Now it's time to act like it. Be encouraged. Be lifted up today. And know that he hasn't left you by your lonesome. He hasn't left you by yourself. Use every resource and every and best resource possible. Live with and look to Jesus. I learned that from this chapter. Even though Jesus was never mentioned in this chapter, I see Jesus all over this. Because I see a mirror there pointing at how many times I failed and I'm thinking, God, I can't do this. I can't follow this. I can't be that person. God says, live and look to me. I'm the one that will make you. Listen, go on the offensive. So many people live their lives on defense, waiting for the enemy to attack so that I can see how well I can hold my ground. Can I tell you that is a great recipe to fail? That is a great recipe to fall apart in. That is a great recipe to have a nervous breakdown. If you sit and you live your life on your heels, you will fail and you will fail to move forward. Not just fail, but you will also fail to move forward. Notice that the Bible tells us that when the people of God rise up, that the gates of hell will not prevail. What are the gates? The gates are not offensive. We are taking back property, territory, space. Come on, somebody. The gates of hell. Why? Because I'm on the offensive, not them. The gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because the the public confession that Jesus Christ is Lord attacks areas of darkness. And when you take up your shield and you take up your sword, which is the word of God we just heard earlier, and we take them up and we realize that God wants you to do something great, but it's going to take you getting up and going after it. The gates of hell don't stand a chance. The gates of hell I thought, man, I hope this is helping somebody because I tell you, not only that, listen, not only that, But when you realize that you have to live your life on the offensive, 
you start to realize that there is no mercy for the enemy. This is the real deal and the enemy doesn't like you or your family. So when I start reading, my family starts praying, I feel under attack. Why? Because you're doing something right. Because you're following the, the obedience that he's calling you to follow. Show no mercy. And you, if you read more in that text, I didn't go into all the detail, but it gets a little rated R. Heads start coming off and stuff. Bodies hanging on walls. This is straight up Hollywood style. This is the real deal. People who say that the Bible is soft, they never read it. The Bible is full of people and people aren't soft. People are mean. And when God brings judgment, he brings judgment. I'm talking about opening up the earth and swallowing people. That's legit. That's real deal stuff. What version are you? Are you reading the VeggieTale version of? What Bible are you reading? Second, I'm telling you right now that there's nothing like the word of God to show you both sides of the equation. And the people that had mercy on their enemy were later defeated. Church, look at me. Slaughter the enemy where he stands. Slaughter the enemy's influence in your life today. Don't give him another moment. Don't, you know, you say, well, Pastor Tony, what does that mean? I don't have any gods in my home. I don't have any giant. Thing. I don't want to break it down. What are you talking about? You know what? Right in here. The idols that you have in your mind, the idols that you have in your heart, the way that, that you feel like uh, these things in your life that have broke, created barriers between you and God, oftentimes those are just your own, your own thoughts. And that's the hardest part to get past sometimes. Can you imagine how Israel felt? They got defeated. They were there and, and God and Achan done messed up the whole thing. You ever had a friend that just messed it up for everybody? I mean, Aiken was the perfect name. They, say it was the, they were hurting bad, right? That's not, a, that's not an irony there. It's just truth. Aiken, the, the man, he messed it up, man. We had a good thing going. God and favor and blessings. Then Aiken done took all the peppermint patties, <laughs> stuff, and just the silver. That's why. Never mind. Okay, so he took the robe. It was really nice, a real expensive robe, and he just... Now what am I going to do? You failed, losing people. People are dying because of Achan. Now what? And God says, get up. Don't be afraid. Go back to the city and here's what you're going to do. Can you imagine what they felt like? Wait a second. We got seriously handled just now. Now we're going to go back? And God's like, yeah, but you're going to go back with the right resources. Me. Before you went solo and how'd that turn out? Not so well, right? Your heart was aching. There's a pun there too. Your heart was aching. Your heart was like aching. You wanted to do what you wanted to do. It wasn't just aching. Aching was a symbol of what the people were doing and how the people thought. Your heart was aching. Your heart was sinful. Your heart was rebellious. But when they got rid of that sin, they said, we want you, God. What happened? Favor came upon and they won. Why? Because you show no mercy to your enemy. You show no mercy to your enemy. And so let me conclude with this thought for a moment, if you would. Achan sinned through a path through the entire people of Israel 
a path off course. Sin will do that. Friend, listen. Sin will throw you off God's path. God is bigger than your past. And he wants to purify you, your desires, and trust what he knows is best for you. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment. And here's a simple thought. This is a take home. This is something I just want you to think about as I pray. Think about how many things you've allowed to become bigger than your God today. And kill that thing. Destroy that thing. Because if you don't take care of it, it will take care of you. Just place something there. Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to realize that, Lord, like Achan, we often have tried our own plan. But, God, I pray that you would help us to realize today that you are bigger than our past. I pray today that you would help us to find that there is nothing in this world that is worth more than following you. So today, may we slaughter the sin that so easily besets us. May we get rid of the things in our lives that destroy us and make us uh, more and more like the world and less and less like you. Father, I pray that you would encourage hearts in this room, that you would encourage hearts listening to me right now and build them up to know who you are. Father, we love you and we're so grateful for the chance to know Jesus. We're so grateful that today there is a hope that is found only in you. God, may you be the only way that we find true satisfaction and realize it before it's too late. God, I pray against the aching hearts in this room. God, I pray that you make failure our greatest ally. And Lord, when we return back to that place to fight again, that we will not think of when we lost, but think of who is with us and why we will win. God, I read the end of the book and I realize we win when we stick with you. So help us to walk in that victory in Jesus' name.